off by thanking this fine shul, Kirat Chavirim, and uh, I guess I'll sponsor the shir in, in honor of Maroi's birthday. She have uh, many good, happy years. And as you all know, happy wife, happy life, so that's good for me too. Okay, um, a fascinating question. Uh, the name Menachem, the previous Ger Rebbe, brings down his sefer from one of the great Rebbe's of Poland, Rechatzkel of Kuzmir. Rechatzkel of Kuzmir was the Rebbe at the root of the dynasty that became so famous for the Nergunim Mojits, the Mojits dynasty. They were Talmidim Rechatzkel of Kuzmir. So he asked the following. It tells us that when Eliezer came to find a wife for Rivka, he saw a young lady who came out with her cad, with her pitcher, I guess you'll call it, on her shoulder. And he ran towards her. I mean, I'm sure there were more than one woman in the neighborhood. Why is it when he saw this girl, he ran to her? And he chose to see, to test her, if she would fulfill that whole test that he gave about giving the water to the camels. So Rashi says, He saw this young girl approach the well, and the waters supernaturally rose up towards her. Okay, if you imagine, right, that one of you now took out your cup and the water kind of came up out of the bottle and went into the cup. So Chatzlub Kuzmir asked, why in the world did he test her afterwards? Shouldn't that be like game over? This is the chosen one. This is, she has the power. This is, it's an amazing thing. So his answer it's so fabulous and important. He says, Mikan nira, from here we see, Shemidos Tovos in Indian Godel Yosemikola Madrigas. Midos Tovos, which what he was looking for, he was searching for the Chesed, that's greater than any spiritual Madrigas a person have that might bring about supernatural events. Those things are cool, but that's not what we're looking for. Also, he says it could very well be that that doesn't even show that a person is a tzaddik. Why would it be then that waters rise up in that way? It could be sometimes a person does have a particular schus of a particular mitzvah that they did and that manifests itself in that particular bracha, but the whole picture of the person, we don't know. It also could be the result of a bracha that the person received from a tzaddik, as we found, that paro had the very same bracha. It says, Yaakov Avinu gave Paro a bracha when he met him. He gave him a bracha. What was the bracha? That the waters of the Nile should rise up when Paro walks by. And Paro is not somebody who appears in our Gedolim books. Right? So he says that it can be that you, the Tzadik gave the bracha. This brought about the result of this miraculous occurrence. But that's not what impresses Eliezer. That's not what he's looking for. It did get his attention. There's something special about her, but now let's see if she really has it. Okay, so now we come to the test of the waters. So I just want to take a second to give over, every year I mentioned this, this beautiful shot of the Beis HaLevi in the test of the water, which again needs a bit of explanation if you're in a Hasidic environment because it doesn't work in that environment. Let me explain. He says... Eliezer asked that he will come and ask the young lady 
This is what he, he said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, please, this is the test that I want to be. And the girl who I will tell her, Hatina Kadech Eshtef, please tilt your pitcher to me so that I can drink. And she will say, drink. And I will also give to your camels to drink. That is the one that you've chosen for Yitzchak. Now Rivka went above and beyond in this. And it's clear in the words in the Pesach. What, first of all, was the test that he was trying to do? He, the Beis Halevi said the following. This young woman was coming with her pitcher, with her jug, to draw water for her family. Water is used for all sorts of things. It's used for drinking, it's used for washing. Here you have an unknown man who's just come a very long desert journey on camels, probably did not look overly clean, and he asked to drink directly from the jug. She's now going to be in a dilemma. She can't bring this water home after this unknown person drank from it with his germy mouth. <laughs> However, to dump it out and to refill would be insulting to him. Eliezer wanted to see that she would figure out the clever way out, saying, you know what, I'm going to give the rest of your camels. Therefore, <laughs> not insulting him and doing that. But, said the Beis HaLevi, Rivka went above and beyond. Because when he asked Rivka, so she said, Gam ligmalecha eshav adin because that could also be insulting, right? Imagine your friend comes into your house and kind of takes a little taste of what's in your pot, and then you suddenly say, Fido, here, you eat this, right? So they'll, they'll be insulted. Here she said, I'm not just going to pour the remainder for the camels. I'm going to go back and back and back and fill up and fill up and draw water for all your camels, therefore ensuring that that isn't there. As I said, in Hasidic gatherings often we share the same cup uh, with no compunctions, so they, it would be hard to get that. I'll just mention, I heard yesterday, I went to Daven Shachris um, on the Shiva minion of Rabasher Weisschlitter, one of the great poskim of the generation. His mother passed away at age 93, Holocaust survivor, and uh, he told some very interesting stories about her. It's just one that relates to this. He said that his mother and father grew up in the same town in Hungary, a town called Salash, but they never knew each other and they were really from different social groups in the town. His father was from a very poor Hasidic family and his mother was from not a wealthy but perhaps less poor family, but they were what was called Oberlanders, which were Jews in Hungary with German roots and German minhogim, etc. Now, his father, he said, was a very fiery Hasid and he was traveling to a Hasidic yeshiva in the town of Ungvar, and he was trying to get other boys from the town to go with him. So he said this was the one time that his mother met his father before the war. They got married after the war. They were both in Auschwitz. The Kloisenberger Rebbe made the shidduch between them. He came to the house, and he knocked on the door, and he came in, and he kind of tried to bow in a very royal way. He said, my name is Moshe Weiss, I'm going to Yeshiva in Ungvar. I would like to ask if your oldest son would perhaps like to accompany me to the Yeshiva. Right? And then he bowed again, thank you for your time, and he like walked out backwards. So Rabasha said his mother told him after he left, they all burst out laughing. Like, what was this guy? He felt that was the way you had to talk to Yekis, you know, he wanted to be sure that it would be. So um, but he said, believe it or not, his wife's brother did go with him to the Yeshiva in Ungvar. 
but it lasted only one week because they were serving soup and he noticed the person serving the soup had his thumb in the soup and uh, he, he went home. So <laughs> it was, uh, but that, that as you see, right, that would be definitely the group for Rivka's test according to the Beis HaLevi's explanation. Rav mentioned, he said that it was, it was the war among HaKadosh Baruch Hu's many cheshbonas that got his parents to marry. Otherwise, he says he doesn't think he ever would have married back there in Hungary. Okay, so this was what he was looking for. However, right, why is this so important? We're looking for something here to say that she did chesed. She did chesed in a clever way. She's clever. She's sensitive. She has social intelligence, you can call it. What is the greatness <clears throat> of what's here? So we can see this and what we're looking for a little bit further in the Prussian. After Eliezer accompanies Rivka back and he um, presents her to Yitzchok, so it says that Yitzchok brought her Ha'ohelo Sora Ima. That Yitzchok brought her Ha'ohelo, meaning into the tent of Sora Ima of Sarah, his mother, right? Then it says, Vayikaches Rivko. Then he took Rivko, Vatihilo Leisha, and she became his wife, Vayahoveo, and he loved her, Vayinochem Yitzchok Achrei Imo, and Yitzchok was consoled after the loss of his mother. Ashi explains that there were certain brachas in the house of Sarah that stopped when she was not there, in Sarah's tent. That when she was there, there was a supernatural light, a nair which was lit from Erev Shabbos to Erev Shabbos. That the dough had a special bracha in it. It satisfied people. And there was a supernatural cloud over the tent. Now that Rivka came and those returned, now Yitzchok was consoled and he loved her. So the question is, why this? What's happening here? What's so special about it? So the Tonda Rebbe answered, he said, because what's happening here is the idea of Kedusha not in an ephemeral, floaty way, but the ability to bring Kedusha into the actual physical house. That the Kedusha is of that extent that you can take it to day-to-day -day situations, to the walls of the house, to the dough, to the light which is found inside of the house, and to imbue this physical structure with Kedusha, that's what was being looked for. And that was important to fill in. She was to be that chesed which would be joined with Yitzchak's din, so to speak, to make the perfect balance. And the Tolna Rebbe brought an interesting story that he heard from his Rebbe, the Pnei Menachem, about this idea of imbuing a house. He said that the Pnei Menachem once told him, just kind of matter-of-factly, an interesting thing that happened to him. He had gone to rest in Haifa. He used to go sometime for vacation in Haifa. And he said, you know, as soon as I walked into the house that they arranged me to stay in Haifa, I remembered part of a niggin that I'd forgotten long ago, and I was always trying to get back. When did I hear the niggin? He said it was back in Europe. My father, the Emes, had gone to the town of Krenitz. Krenitz was a town which had mineral baths that people would go to. And Friday night, he told me to go to bed on time, so I was lying in bed, but meanwhile nearby there were a group of Vishnitzer Hasidim who were singing a beautiful niggin, which I enjoyed very much. 
And for the years afterwards, I was able to remember the first part of the nigan. I was never able to remember the second part of the nigan. And then as soon as I walked into this house in Haifa, the second part came to me. It came back. So the Tolna Rebbe was curious. And uh, he, his wife was from Haifa. He knew some people. He tried to check who lived in that house. What was with that house? It turned out that the Sarat Vishnitz Rebbe used to spend Shabbos in that house very often. So he came and he told the Pnei Menachem. The Pnei Menachem was very moved. He said, that shows that a group of Hasidim sitting together and singing a nigan as it should be done imbues the house, the, the walls of the house with that nigan to the extent that when somebody else comes in, it's like transmitting. And my yearning for that second part of the nigan picked it up from the very walls of the place. So this is the picture of what we're looking for. What the Kotzka Rebbe said famously, the Anshe Kodesh Tiyunli, you should be for me, people who are Kaddosh, who are holy, he says that Kaddosh Baruch has plenty of malachim. What he needs, he said in Yiddish, is mensch lecheli, human beings who have this holiness. So now, I have to ask a question that many people probably think of. It sounds maybe a bit naughty to ask such a thing, but you got to ask it. There are lots of people in the world who do much kindness, who do lots of gemilus chesed in many ways. Sometimes the Jewish kids are brought up in this false bubble that, you know, because of their Jewish kids' books and tapes, that everybody else out there in the world are these evil people who are trying to, you know, they grab them. It's usually either, you know, Inquisition people, KGB people, you know, murderous Arabs or something like that. That's basically, you know, the people in your neighborhood. And, um, and then they, when they go out sometime and they see that there are a lot of people in the world who do a lot of kindness and you can buy all these different books, chicken soup for that and all these different things, wonderful heartwarming stories of all sorts of people who do very kind things in many ways. So what is so special about this chesed that we're looking for here? He tested her in chesed. He needed chesed. This would be the one. But lots of people do chesed. It's true she came up with a very clever way of giving Eliezer water. But is that what determines it? What is this chesed that we're looking for? So the Shem Shmuel has a very fascinating question, going back to the beginning of the parasha. The beginning of our parasha tells us about Avram Avinu's efforts and success in acquiring the Maras HaMachpelah and burying Sarater. The Medrash Rabbah praises him greatly for these acts. Medrash Rabbah, it's in the very end of what's called Simen Nunches. So it applies to Avram Avinu, a pasuk from Mishle. Rodev tzedakah v'chesed, yinza chayim tzedakah v'kavod. And it applies this all to Avram for the chesed that he did for Sarah in burying her, to the extent that it finishes with a statement, Amar Abishmuel bar Yitzchak, Amar la HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch said to Avram, Ani umanusi gomel chasadi. You know what my profession is? What's on my business card? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gomel chasadi. I give kindness, I do acts of loving kindness. Tafasta umanosi, you have stepped into my profession right now. He says, Bo levosh levushi, so you should wear the same uniform as me. That's why it's described by Abraham Zokin, Boba Yomim, is an aspect of Zikna, that Akarish Baruchu appears sometime to Am Yisrael, the Harsinites, that is Zokin Mole Rachmi. 
Now, the Shem Shmuel, and I love his very practical questions, he said, with all due respect, you know, if I phrase it, my, what was he supposed to do, leave her in the backyard? I mean, you know, imagine if I pointed out, you know, he's such a wonderful Baal Chesed. You know what he did? His wife passed away. He buried her. <laughs> you got to do that. It's part of, actually, the husband's obligations, halachically, to take care of that. Why does Avram get such praise, particularly for this? And the Shem Shmuel already counters our possible argument. He said, well, he went to so much effort to acquire the Mara Samach Pelo, which is a place that Sarah wanted to be buried in. The Posuk in Eshazchayel, she always desired that place to be her resting place. But he said, again, Avram was buying it for himself as well. It wasn't just for Sarah. That was going to be his burial plot as well. So here, his answer is something very deep and a bit tricky, to the extent that he finishes the paragraph, he says, be very careful with this because it's very deep. He said the following. He said, Avram, all of the chesed that he did, he wasn't remembering or thinking at the time that what he did was in order to fulfill his obligations. Right? He wasn't thinking, oh, let me think. My wife is now dead. What are the husband's obligations? Let me look up in the guidebook for the Jewish husband. Bury her. Okay, I hereby go forth. He wasn't thinking about that at all. He says, He was just doing chesed. There was an opportunity here to give, and he gave. And uh, he says this is because he had reached a state that his very essence was chesed. As David Amel said about Tfila, David Amel said, Va'ani Tfila. I am Tfila. Not Animis Palo, I Davin. But I've internalized Tfila so much that that's my essence. Avram Avinu was Chesed. And therefore, he said, this action that was done was an expression. It was the way in which it was done. It was done totally as an expression of that pure Chesed. To the extent that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, you are my, so to speak, branch owner in this world. I work in the chesed field. You now do what I do. Meaning that that pipeline of chesed that starts with Olam Chesed Yibona, Avram Avinu, had connected with it so much and internalized it so much that that was what and how he did this action. So a couple of things that we have to be careful with this. It doesn't mean that you become a robot, okay? The idea, if we were asking Avram Avinu here, it wasn't that he would say, Avram Avinu, what's going on? Oh, some lady has to be buried, and I do chesed, and this is a chesed to do. Isn't she your wife? Oh, you're right, it is. It, it wasn't that he doesn't know the person. He came to say hespit, to eulogize her, to cry for her. He knew who it was. But he did it with that full and pure chesed which was there. You can have both. You can, and chesed must be done that the person knows that you see them and you care about them as a person, not just an address. That's why the Shem Shmuel is emphasizing. He wasn't doing it because of the obligation. They, you know, they say the joke about a person who's very stringent with mitzvahs, so before Purim, He's trying to find the poorest person to give matonus levyonim, to make sure this person is really destitute so he'll fulfill his thing. And on the day of Purim, he comes to check, says, you're homeless, still homeless? Yes. Food? 
What do you have? Nothing, a few crumbs. Okay, any money in your pockets? Nothing. Thank you very much. May you be this poor next year as well. Right? So this, right? this is the person who's just looking right, at, at this person as an object to fulfill their obligations. That's not what we're saying here. Here, Avram Avinu is just an essence of chesed. And when his wife, who was so precious to him, required chesed, the chesed came flowing out. And the way in which that was done was what got him this praise. So this is what we're looking for. Eliezer was looking not just for someone who does chesed. He was looking, perhaps the way the Piyasets and the Rebbe phrased it so beautifully, the Torah isn't just telling us to do good, the Torah is telling us to be good. It's true, the Torah has lists of actions that we have to do. But a person is supposed to absorb those and to become the good that those instructions are showing us. To absorb it, to make it part of yourself, and then when a person has chesed to that extent, every single everyday action can become imbued with that chesed. The walls of your house can be imbued with the chesed, the dough that you need can be imbued with the chesed. It's there throughout and in everything that's there. How does one get there? How does one go from the very wonderful world of doing acts of chesed to being chesed. Obviously, the more one does, and the more one does in the right way, they absorb it more. Part of it comes from recognizing what you're doing when you're bringing chesed. I heard a fascinating thing from a friend of Shimon Spitzer. He said that when Avram Avinu made an Esha, right? one of the opinions in Chazal, he made this little inn, and the different wayfarers would come and it would give them cholt and kugel and all these things and they would say, who do we pay? We want to thank you. He says, no, thank Hashem, it's all from him. That's what we learned when we were kids. It's nice, it's cute. How does it work really? Right? How does it work? So he explained again that Avram Avinu internalized chesed so much that the cholt and the kugel, or kuskus, I'm not exactly sure what they were given, okay, they were, were being given from that embodiment of chesed, from the chesed that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent into the world that Avram Avinu internalized, and now he was transmitting through that. And when the people ate, it wasn't just that they had a good meal. They felt something. They felt elevated. It they felt something they hadn't felt before and they wanted to thank Avraham Avinu for it. He was saying, you know what you're feeling? You're feeling the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what you're feeling. It isn't me. He simply, I managed to channel this that he sends in the world and now realize it and realize that that's the source of all the chesed that comes into the world. That's what they were looking for in Rivka. That's what one's trying to do. So again, how do we get there? It's a beautiful piece of Vigdor Miller, who was a rub in America for many years. I said a piece on a famous pasuk in the Navi Micha from the Treyasa. In Micha it says a list of three things. The Gemara and Makos tell us at the end of the Masechta it talks about different Nevi'im who tried to get their generation to focus on certain aspects of Judaism not to focus exclusively and drop everything else, but to use those as the gateway for Torah as it should be. Bo Micha be Midon al Micha came and he taught them three things. 
Mashem show me, Moch says the Rabbi, what does God ask from you? Kim, Asos Mishpot, Avas Chesed, sorry, Avas Chesed, Asos Mishpot, Vatsnei Alechesim Elokech. To love doing acts of Chesed, okay? To do Mishpot, to do the laws, and Hatsnei Alechesim Elokech, to walk in a way which is hidden with Hashem. Okay, now the Gemara expands on what these three things are. Asos mishpot, elu adinim. Mishpot means, elu mishpotim, all the laws of the Torah, that's what you do. Avas chesed, zug milos chasodim. Right, again, to do milos chasodim, which implies not just in a reactive way when you see the poor person, but that you're looking to give, you're always trying to give. What is hatznea leches imelokecha? The mistake we make often is to think that that third clause is simply modifying the first two. You should do chesed, you should do mitzvahs, but keep it on the lowdown. Don't take a selfie every time you give a poor man a coin. Right? You don't have to send out to everybody, here's me putting on my tefillin on Instagram, right? here's my lulav and such. Right? Keep, keep it low. But that doesn't make sense because it says, Micha Studlam means there were three pillars that he wanted his generation to stand on. And Hatznea Lechesimelokecha is a pillar in and of itself. So Miller said, set aside for a second the Hatznea and look at that continuation of the phrase Lechesimelokecha. To walk with your God. How does one walk with Hashem? On one hand, I guess we all are because Hashem's everywhere. What determines a person who does walk with Hashem and one who doesn't? And we see in Tanakh, there were different people who described Hanoch, Isaleh, Hanoch, Eselokim, right? Uh, different uh, people were described as walking either with Hashem, before Hashem. How does one do it? So the answer is the internal world. Two people are walking, but one person is walking with the internal awareness of the presence of Hashem, of the involvement Hashem in his life, and of the ongoing dialogue that that person has with Hashem. Hatznea leches imelokecha means we all work, walk in the same external world. But in your world of Hatznea, in your hidden world, you should be walking with Hashem. To the extent that that becomes the only motivation for the things that you're doing in the public sphere. That dialogue that's constantly going on, which is in this situation, Hashem, what should be done in this situation? And how should it be done? And that is what the person does. It's a very powerful thing to have because that is the idea that you've internalized it to the extent that your buttons won't get pushed one way or the other by what everyone around you is either doing or not doing. The Gemara, continuing on that last clause, this is the strange examples they gave for Atznea Lechesim Elokecho. The Gemara said, what is Atznea Lechesim Elokecho? Said Zu doing a funeral for a person and helping someone get married. Nowadays, sometimes people just think it's the idea of donating money, but it's every aspect of the wedding helping with clothes, with food, with music, with dancing, with everything that's there. Now, that's very strange because those are two particular mitzvahs which are done better if done publicly. The more people they're involved, the mitzvah is viewed as more beautiful. Part of Kovid HaMes 
is to try to gather people to be present at a funeral. That's honor for the mace. A wedding, we know, if it doesn't have people to be dancing to do. A friend of mine, his brother, got married once here in Yerushalayim when there was a snowstorm. What Israel calls a snowstorm. Basically a few inches of snow, but that's enough. It closes down the city entirely. So the chosen was here from Yerushalayim, but the girl came from another part of the country. Fortunately, she was already in Yerushalayim. Her parents were already in Yerushalayim, but there were two busloads of guests who were supposed to be coming from her hometown, and the city was closed down. The roads were closed. They tried everything. They were calling Knesset members, army, everything. They couldn't get through. So my friends, as a friend who was there, his family's business is building supplies. So they had a truck. So he went over to one of the large seminaries in Yerushalayim, the Michalala in Yerushalayim, and he pounded on the dormitory. And he said, we need girls to dance at a wedding. So they loaded up the back of the truck and uh, they went. So this, now why would the Gemara give an example of two mitzvahs that are done very publicly for Hatzneh Leches Yimelokech? Answered Rabbi Miller, he said, exactly. He says, the true test of Hatzneh Leches Yimelokech is that you can be doing something in the public eye. You can be doing something publicly but the reason you're doing it, the way you're doing it, is hatsnea, is internal. It's not because all these people are watching. It's not because there's this noise. That is the same hatsnea that you're doing when nobody sees or when everyone sees. That's a sign that you've truly internalized the midah and that it's really part of you. It's become imbued. So I want to finish with um, a story about that that relates to um, two suggestions. Miller gave there at the end as to how one starts to walk on this path of internalizing midos in the ways of atzneh leches and especially the idea of chesed. So one recommendation is in fact to do some of your actions on the slide. To do an act of kindness that absolutely nobody knows about. Right? That absolutely nobody knows about that only you and Hashem know that you did this act of kindness. It could be a very small thing. Your roommate left out his coffee cup. Instead of, you know, leaving a little note, you know, criticizing him or just letting it sit there until it grows biological experiments, you wash it out and put it away without letting him know who did it. It can be with all sorts of people. It can be especially with the people that one has to do chesed for in the same way that Avram had to bury Sarah, but he did it in a form of chesed. Something that you have to do around the house Nonetheless, you do it in a way of chesed, and if you do it in a way which is hidden so that you're not trying to use it for the horse trading in terms of who did what at home, right, but you're leaving that one out of the equation, that gives it a certain purity, and that starts to inculcate that habit of doing things that nobody sees. Two examples of this. I saw a story about a great tzaddik in England. He was known as the Manchester tzaddik, the Manchester of Shashiva, of Yehuda Zev Segel. And one of his Talmudim once saw him on a Friday walking into a shul, and he was wearing his overcoat, but the overcoat looked, it looked like he was pregnant, like the overcoat was all overstuffed, and he didn't know what was going on. He followed him in, and he saw that he walked into the bathrooms of the shul, and he had lots of pre-cut Shabbos toilet paper, and he was placing it in there. And he said, Rebbe, this is what you're doing? He says, he says, Shuls are cheap sometimes. They don't put in enough. 
it's important that there should be enough in the bathrooms. And he made him promise that he would never tell anyone, only after he died, did the Talmud feel that he could share that with him. Nobody would know, nobody would see, right, which is there. A story that happened in this very neighborhood. Rabbi Levine, the son of the famous Rabbi Levine, he kind of took over for his father as being the, the shoulders that Yushalayim cried on and came to for brachas. And many people saw many amazing things with him. Now, if you know the kind of genealogy in the Levine family, so Rabbi Foyle had a very famous brother-in-law who was Rabbi Yosef Shalom El-Yoshiv Zetzel. So Rabbi El-Yoshiv married his sister. So he used to go, every Matzai Shabbos, he would go to the Kotel. After going to the Kotel, he would go to Meisharim, to Rabbi El-Yoshiv's house, to talk over different questions that came up during the week and such. One week, his sister came over to him, and she said, maybe you can help me. She said, there's a very sad situation. There was a couple that lived nearby us here on the street. They didn't have children for many years. Finally, much later on in marriage, the wife became pregnant, but her husband passed away while she was still in pregnancy. The child was born with a variety of developmental difficulties. And then, after he'd grown up to be a young man, she really got him functioning as best as he could. She became very ill. And before she passed away, she asked Rebetzin Yoshiv, she says, my son can somewhat take care of himself, but please try to think of what you can do to help him. He was going to continue to live in their apartment. So she said to her brother, Rebetzin so maybe you can help me, maybe you can do something with him. He said, okay. He went over to the apartment and he knocked on the door. The young man answered. He said, my name is Rebetzin Levine. I stopped by here on Matzoy Shabbos. I'd like to learn on Matzoy Shabbos. Would you learn with me? And he said, yes, I'd be very happy. So that became part of the route. Rebuffel would go to the Kotel, and he would go to Rehuyashu. Now there were a bunch of people who would accompany him on those first two stops, but then when he went to learn with this young man in the house, it was just him. Eventually Rebuffel passed away. One of the men who used to accompany him on Matzoy Shabbos was walking down the street, and he bumps into that young man who recognized him. He said, you're one of the people who would go with the rabbis. He says, yes. He said, the rabbi's not here anymore, and nobody learns with me. Would you learn with me? So he said, okay, I'll come. So he went on a Matzai Shabbos, and he knocked on the door, and the boy opened the door and let him in, and there was a terrible smell in the apartment. And he wanted to know what was going on. He went into the bathroom, and it was, was terribly filthy. And the young man said, I'm sorry, he says, Rebuffel always used to clean it. Since he died, nobody's cleaned it for me. The world never would have known. The world never would have seen. Chesed. Internal chesed. Channeling HaKadosh Baruch Hu's chesed. If we do that sometimes, now again, it's important to realize, the Chassam Sofer said this, that never let your desire for anonymity make poor people suffer. Right. In other words, don't be there like, oh man, I, I, I want to give some money to a poor person. Too many people looking. I'm not going to give to her. Right? It's like, he said, sometimes they do appeals in show. Right? It's like Mr. Goldstein gives $400. Mr. Greenberg, $500. So some people like to say just anonymous. So the Hasim Services, I don't like that. Why? Because if your neighbor gives 500 you feel you've got to give 600 
right? If it's there, it breaks that competition. It's true, the Rambam says it's better to give tzedakah anonymously, but the Anim, bottom line, are going to get more money this way. Okay, so you got to try to do that as, as you can. To, um, that also is truly internalizing chesed. That the chesed is not about looking, okay, how can I do chesed in the way that I get the most points? The idea of chesed is looking, how does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want chesed to be given in this world? How can I become that channel of chesed? And when a person does that, so then you feel the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Avram Avinu was telling those people in his Asia. That's what you feel, that's what you, what you said. Finish with one last story. I'd heard this from the Talmud Rebbe, who heard it from someone who heard it from the Sri Daesh. We mentioned him last week, Rafael Yaakov Weinberg. So after the war, he had been in Germany when the war broke out. He spent a short time in camps, but he was able to get out to Switzerland. After the war, somebody approached him. He said there are hundreds of thousands of Jews in DP camps, displaced persons camps. And they've had their emunah shaken so much by what they've gone through. You're a great philosopher. You're a great speaker. We would like to sponsor for you to go to the DP camps and to speak to people to strengthen their amuna. So he said, okay, I'll try. And he said he went to the DP camps and he spoke and he felt he did nothing. It just it was falling on deaf ears. It wasn't going. And then he heard about two camps, Feldefang and Farenwald, that had an awakening. Yeshivas had started there, girls' schools had started there, couples were getting married, there were shuls, there were mikvahs. He said, I've got to figure out what's going on in those places. So he came, and he hears noise from a tent, he walks in, he sees a group of men sitting around, eating some crackers and sardines, and one said it to our Torah, and they even sang a nigan, and he said, what is this place? They said, this is the kosher kitchen. This is a place where there's kosher food, got different food from the joint, we have these sardines, we have crackers, and they've taken everything from us, but we can still sit together and share these things together. He said, who's in charge here? They said, the Kleismerger Rebbe. He said, where is he? They said, he's over with the women. He went over to another side of the camp, there was a big tent where the Rebbe was sitting with a group of women, and he was saying, explain to me again, sweaters in which colors? and heavy or light, okay? And, and tell me again, skirts and this, he's looking at this, he doesn't know what's going on. Finally it finished, and he came over to the Kleismerger, he said, teach me, what, what, what's happening here? So it's very simple, he said, there was no kosher food here. I arranged to get them some kosher food. The women don't have any proper clothes. I'm going on a trip now to raise money and to buy things for the people. I know nothing about women's clothes, they had to teach me. He says, this is what you have to learn. He says, when you treat the Jewish body in the right way, the Jewish soul awakens as well. So there are a variety of explanations for that. Number one is that the body and soul are linked. Just as it says in Mishli, Ruach Machaleu, the way a person's spirit is can affect the very way he deals with an illness, so too. The body being healthy and taken care of helps the soul come to life as well. But from what we learned tonight, there's also more here. People who felt distant from HaKadosh Baruch due to what they went through, a speech isn't going to do it. 
bringing the very presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's chesed in there, by channeling that chesed in the way that Avram Avinu did, so that the reconnection happens through that, that can bring people back to life. And uh, that is why it is so powerful. And it's done, and if it's done with a, with a whole heart, not looking for different paybacks, or not looking to manipulate it into something else, but just that alone is bringing HaKadosh Baruch Hu into that person's world, and especially into the world of the one who gives, because then he steps into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's profession and gets to wear the uniform. Have a wonderful evening, a wonderful week, a wonderful shots. Thank you. You're welcome.